When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we tackle your questions on introverts at lunch breaks, sending multiple thank yous, submitting gift wish lists, honoring a deceased parent on a wedding invitation, and how to bring host gifts and holiday gifts with carry-on restrictions. All that, plus your feedback, salute, and a postscript segment from CNN on interesting international etiquette coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of APM Podcasts from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute. So I've been thinking a lot about Thanksgiving. This is actually the first podcast that Lizzie and I are recording after the Thanksgiving holiday. The The first one that aired post-Thanksgiving was recorded just before Thanksgiving happened. And I returned to my desk on Monday, and as I was sitting there, I was looking at the flood of Thanksgiving articles that we participated in that have been published and are now coming up and popping up in our social media streams. Yeah. And the first thought that occurred to me was how much I love the holiday of Thanksgiving. It really is the etiquette holiday. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's really special. It's remarkable. We, we set aside an entire day for giving thanks, for appreciating things in our lives and being explicit about that appreciation. And somehow we managed not to turn it into gifts. <laughs> it's it's kind of remarkable. As a kid, it was not my favorite holiday. It I wanted mine. the holiday with the gifts and the candy. Was he saying it was mine? It, it was mine. It was mine. <laughs> but no, the, the, the older I've gotten, the more I've gotten to really appreciate not just that meal, but the time spent with family and, and like you say, the spirit of the holiday. It's a beautiful one. My mother wrote an article about what a, what a remarkable feeling she gets teaching kids and how much she loves the Thanksgiving holiday as a real opportunity to be explicit about thanks and Thanksgiving. So that was the, the big picture thought that I was having. But on a more personal level, I was really reflecting on the experience that, that I got to enjoy. Um, we alternate, Pooja and I, my wife and I alternate with our two families. So we, we swap the Christmas holiday holiday and the Thanksgiving holiday, and we go with alternate families each other year. And this was our year to spend with the Gupta family. And it was incredible. There was a, a spread that is is straight what you would imagine. There was a long table that stretched from a dining room through a family living room, and we were trying to count heads. It was a little hard because people were shifting and moving and coming and going, but there were close to 50 people around the table. It was amazing. And that time in the meal came that people who listen to this show, those of you who listen regularly know I love when there's a toast at the end of the meal. And the hostess stood up and shared her thoughts about Thanksgiving and talked about how much she appreciated America and this country and everything that it had 
represented to that family and to everybody in that room the opportunity that that this country presents to all of us and how grateful she was for that. And there I was sitting 30 people down at the other end of the table, and it really struck me. I really appreciated hearing that from her, and I wanted to share it with all of you because it really refocused for me. It really crystallized the importance of that moment where we get to give thanks for everything that we have as families, but also as communities and as a country. And I found it moving, and I hope that I'm able to communicate a little bit of that feeling to you because I really wanted to share that today. Giving gratitude, showing gratitude, expressing gratitude is a healing act for a lot of people. It's something that can make you feel more confident, uh, more whole, uh, obviously more appreciative. And I think that maybe at a time where we were really worried about being so divided, that a holiday that focuses on food and family and gratitude might actually have been exactly what we needed. I'm not saying it fixed everything, but... I think that it brings together that idea that, hey, we're bigger than our differences. Sure does. Should we get to some questions? <laughs> we should. And I give thanks for all of you for keeping them coming. <laughs> Let's get to some questions. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question has the sort of quasi-etiquette title of Please Leave Me Alone. <laughs> Please Leave Me Alone. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast so much. I will even use some of the scenarios as conversation icebreakers. Oh, that's a great idea. I'll present people with the etiquette conundrum and I see how they would handle it. <laughs> I love it. It always makes for an interesting, fun conversation. It's also cool to see how people react to some of these situations. I do have a bit of an etiquette issue myself. I am an introvert, but also a bit of an empath, and it actually makes me pretty great at customer service jobs. So my day at work involves me being on the phone all the time. I am pretty much the only person at my office who is constantly on the phone. Sometimes, but not always, I just want to sit with a book or watch a TV show on my phone or play a video game. I generally wear headphones when I'm doing these things, always with the TV show, just to signal to people that I am checking out. We have a small break area, and there honestly isn't anywhere else for me to go that is more private. I specifically choose to go to lunch at times when other people are working so I can get my me time and not appear to be rude. I just need to recharge my batteries. Inevitably, while I'm relaxing with my chosen distractions, someone will come up to me and attempt to begin a conversation. I don't mind if it's just a quick, oh, what are you reading? Totally understandable. I feel like anything else, though, is a bit inconsiderate, and I don't understand the mentality. It's not like the person is seeking out my company, but instead looking for a lunch buddy. I don't want to be rude, and I know rudeness doesn't excuse rudeness, but what's an introvert to do? I'd also like to mention that I'm very lucky, and I really do like my coworkers, and I don't want to put them off talking to me entirely. I might just be asking to have my cake and eat it, too. Any advice you have would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for all the awesome advice and excellent conversation starters, E. 
E, thanks for your question. And I'm glad that the show has been helpful and useful and hopefully will provide you with a, a new icebreaker today. You can even just say, you know, I heard my question on my favorite podcast. Um, your question is a version of a question that we get not infrequently at the show. And it has to do with how you manage personal time in professional contexts and situations. And that is um, something that many people wrestle with to varying degrees in different situations. When I get a question like this, I often think about my father who used to really carve out his lunchtime as that me time that you're talking about. And he had strategies. He would often leave the office and take a walk. I know there was a favorite deli that he used to go visit and he would get his sandwich and sit on a picnic table out, outside and eat his sandwich there. So I appreciate the desire to take that time in the middle of your workday to recover a little bit. And everybody has different strategies for recuperation. And that's that's entirely reasonable. And we understand that. Given the circumstances that you describe in your workplace, it could I can see how it might be difficult to carve that time out. And I appreciate the way you're really thinking about how you're going to do that because you're you're balancing your needs and your desires with the expectation that other people have. And right off the bat, that tells me that you're probably going to find some really reasonable and good etiquette territory. You're doing the things already that we recommend. You're giving those cues, those social cues, by putting those earphones in, by taking a seat in the corner, by doing everything that you can to, to stay out of the public flow as much as possible and to then bring your attention internally and give external cues about that. You've done a lot of the things that I would suggest, and I'm pretty sure based on her mm. nodding countenance across from me. I'm just trying to let you go. What yeah. my cousin would say also. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. what do you do next? What if people don't pick up on those cues and they continue to approach you? Here's the bad news. That could be a situation where you have to accept that you're in a public break room and yeah. there's going to be a certain amount of human interaction that is going to happen and it's going to happen naturally, even if you make that effort and do those things. And I can tell you're not too conflicted about it because yeah. of the way you present the question. Yeah. But I, I also want to affirm that that what you're experiencing is it's a normal desire. And at the same time, I don't think that there's a more extreme step you can take in that particular environment. You could mm. definitely. I mean, she could go if, if, if she drives to work and has a car, she could go sit in her car. I mean, but that's like people do that literally to create that space, that private space that no one else is going to come to. But if you don't have a car or if you just don't want to be sitting in your car doing this, then you're kind of you know, that's not an option. Because we definitely hear from people on the other side of this equation, people who are experiencing someone who wants private and alone time as as not participating in the social environment. And, and people do sometimes perceive that as rude. And I think you're wise to be aware of that also. Which is why I also want to just give give E the credit that I think she's in safe territory because she talks about wanting to maintain relationships with her coworkers, that she really does like them. That this isn't an everyday thing. It's just a when she needs it thing. So I don't think she's being perceived as that particular person just to ease any worry she might have there. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. And, and now's the part where I want to I, I, I've mind around. I think I've got some <laughs> advice I can give here. And I want to put a, a sort of an irony alert on it. And in the, the, the script, I said, warning, optimist approaching. Mm -hmm. And this is where I want to encourage the, the introvert in you to embrace some extrovert tendencies. And to start talking to your coworkers in the exact same way that you presented this question today. Mm -hmm. And that you might, by actually developing closer relationships with those people, 
help them to understand how you treasure that alone time and that yeah. me time. And that, that, that by building a relationship that allows you to express that, articulate that, share that, that you might actually be able to carve that space out socially, not just physically, not just in the corner of the room or with your headphones, but through your social interactions. And it's sort of counterintuitive advice in some ways. (laughs) But maybe by talking a little more and sharing a little more, you might be allowed or or get to talk a little less and have a little more alone or private time. Well, simply it's the communication allows you to get what you want, or at least people understand it. And then they start to remember, oh, that's right. Wait, this is her time to recharge. And one thing I do want to caution you about is the assumption that your coworkers are just looking for a lunch buddy and they're not seeking out your company. And that's something where I think that's parsing out a a little – it's assuming a lot for a parsing of that intention on the part of the other person. You get along with your coworkers. They might actually really be looking forward to having lunch with you. Or they might say, oh, gosh, there's E. I'm so glad she's the one at the table right now, Um, especially if you do have good relationships with them. So I would would tend to don't put yourself down. Value the fact that that might actually be a genuine uh, appreciation that you're here in the kitchen and eating your lunch in the kitchen or the designated area, whatever it is. The the, the introvert sitting here at the table behind the microphone uh, appreciates that thought because I also I, I like the way you talk about wanting to read and watch TV and play games. That TV show might be new exposure to that person that's approaching you at the lunch table. And yeah. Lizzie's reminding me about the the rich internal life that many introverts have and <laughs> that, that people might actually be drawn to that. They might be attracted to that. We are going far afield here, but we wish you really good luck navigating this not uncommon and sometimes difficult situation, but we have confidence that you will handle it well moving forward. Our next question is titled Wishlist Wonderings. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. First of all, I would like to thank you for the amazing work you do. Your podcast has completely changed my day-to-day life and has increased my awareness of how consideration, respect, and honesty are key in all of my interactions. That's wonderful. I love hearing that. (laughs) I love the act of gift giving, and I pride myself in investing time and effort in selecting the perfect gift. I really do enjoy when a person loves a present that I have carefully picked. With that being said, I'm now stuck with a gifting dilemma. My boyfriend and I live across the country from our families, and his mom has asked me to send her a wish list of what I would like to receive this Christmas. Although I love the thought, I know I have an expensive taste and wouldn't want to burden her with anything too expensive since she really didn't give me a budget. My boyfriend and I have been dating for two years and we have sent her some nice gifts and she has also noted the efforts I put into gifting. I did tell her a book I've been wanting to read and how that would be the perfect gift, but she insisted in adding more things to my wish list. Do I tell her what I really want, even though it's on the pricier side? Do I come up with a random, less pricey but generic gift? Or do I ask for a gift card to keep it safe? I really don't want to come across as picky or stuck up by asking for expensive gifts, but I definitely don't want to take the fun out of gift giving or set myself up for future safe generic gifts. Please help. Sincerely, hard to gift. Oh, hard to gift. I know this is this is a real thing. Gifting is not. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm I'm gonna do what my cousin often (laughs) reels me in from doing. 
which is that I'm going to go big and then we're going to come in small. But my big thought is, is that gifting is a really funny thing. And we've been getting some interesting questions. Must about, be that time of it's year. It's that time of year. And we're getting some interesting questions about gifting from the idea that don't uh, one person wrote in saying, please don't just get people things that they love because often you get them the wrong thing that they love, which was, a you know, I had mentioned the golf balls for the golfer and someone else said, well, I'm a beer enthusiast. And let me tell you, I hate receiving beer that I don't like. Actually, he didn't use the word hate. I really shouldn't put that out there. But um, I don't re- like receiving beer I don't like just because they thought it was a fancy model or something. So you get this like perspective of I don't want gifts that I don't want. Awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Which is a really, I mean, let's face it, that sounds pretty ungenerous right there. Um, But we also get the people who panic so much that then they don't feel good about the gift they've given because they just don't feel like it could ever be something somebody wants. It's not enough. It might offend. Exactly. And then and now and so this is a good example of someone who, you know, she does put a lot of effort into her gift giving and at the same time knows that she has expensive taste and doesn't want to burden someone else with that. But I get the sense she doesn't really want gifts she's not interested in having, by the way she phrased it, less pricey but generic gift. It could be a less pricey but specific gift. That's an option too. I guarantee hard to gift that there are items you purchase that are in very comfortable budget ranges for all kinds of people. And I'm wondering if you can't expand your thinking about what a good gift for you might be to maybe items for the kitchen or the garden or is there a hobby that you enjoy that might have some lower medium and high priced items um 
There's no reason why a quality gift has to mean expensive. My guess is that what you actually are is a person who really values specific quality as opposed to someone who values a price tag. And I don't think I don't think you value expensive gifts. I think you value quality gifts. So my bet is that with a little bit of thinking and a little bit of maybe browsing on some of your favorite websites, that you're going to find some gifts that would actually be great price ranges. Maybe it's in the $15 range. Maybe it's in the $25 range. Maybe it's in the $50 range, but that are in the range that you would feel comfortable suggesting as potential gifts from a not future mother-in-law from a but from a maybe potential. one day maybe one day I don't know what your wishes are and what your feelings are on the matter but uh, someone that you obviously want to be close to that you've developed a good relationship with I really like that approach. We often talk about how when giving a gift it's the thought that counts. Yes. What really matters <laughs> is the thought and what I'm hearing from my cousin is that when you're talking about how you help someone give a good gift, you help them with that thought. You help them connect with something that matters to you, something that you like. And maybe that's the value in items, but maybe it is that hobby. Maybe it is that area of your life that you're working on, your garden, your studio, your guest room, Who guest knows? room, whatever <laughs> it might be. So I, I, I like that, that, that global broad advice. I want to narrow it down a little bit go and talk it. a little bit about the specifics of your situation. Yeah. And I'm going to go with a three bullet Pronged approach, a three, a three bullet <laughs> approach. The first is that you're going to ask your boyfriend for help. Yes. You're going <laughs> to use the, the tools at your disposal. And in this case, it's going to be your boyfriend. He's going to help you navigate this relationship dilemma. And you're going to ask him to help you identify a range. Yeah. A, a range, range that would be appropriate, yeah. something that reflects what's happened in the past or what he thinks might be possible right now. What do you mean? He's never had a girlfriend before our lovely hard to give. Clearly I'm just kidding. not. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, but the, the, exactly. You, you look for clues and he's going to help you. He's got more yeah. information. He might be able to talk to mom. He might be able to talk to dad. He might be able to talk to siblings. Well, and, and he just knows, like you said, from experience, what parents seem to find are good and appropriate uh, price ranges for gifts. Once you've got that range, then it's up to you to apply the advice that my cousin's given and figure out a few different items within that range, whatever it is, so that you're not being too directive. You're not saying, this is what I want. This is the thing. I'll be disappointed otherwise. Right. But you think a little broadly and, and you do. You try to find a couple of possibilities or options. And the final tip is that I do want to really acknowledge the awareness that you have that asking for really expensive things can come across badly. Yes. Thank you for already being in that mind frame. <laughs> you do not want to put uh, Tiffany's diamond <laughs> on that list if that's not a reasonable gift. And for most people, it's not, not going to be. a reasonable gift. <laughs> and if it is, good fortune to you. We're, we're yeah. really happy for you. But it, um, but no, you're wise to be thinking about that because you don't want to, to create expectations that aren't fulfillable and that's not that's not wise for you or for the other people involved. Okay, my final tip is going to be a tip for the future. As you move forward throughout the year, use whether it's your smartphone or a little pad of paper or maybe it's a document on your computer, but when you're out in the world and you're thinking about things that you love to use, products that you appreciate, gestures that have been made that were great, just write them down. And that way you kind of have a list come December of various things. Uh, I I remember a, a small but, but quality gift that my mom used to always get my 
sister was these little fruit pastes because my sister loves making charcuterie and and cheese boards and things like that. And these little fruit pastes were just this wonderful thing for her to always keep on hand. They kept really well. So it wasn't like she would use them once and then they were gone. You could put it back in the refrigerator. But little things like that start to become really great quality high-end gifts that you don't have to buy a lot of so you keep the price range down. But just think about little items like that as you go throughout your year so that come December, it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, these would be great things, you know, or, oh, I do have a couple of things that I've been really hoping for. That kind of a thing is a great way to prepare for this moment next year. Hard to gift. We hope that makes it easier to gift and continue being the awesome gift giver that you are. Our next question is about honoring a deceased mother. And it's a technical question. Dear Sir and Madame, our daughter Erica and her fiancé Stephen are getting married on 3-12-17. Steve's mom passed away three years ago. His dad is newly married, about a year after his wife's loss. How do we word the invitation? I feel we need to include his deceased mother's name in the invite. Please help. My husband and myself are the proud parents of Erica and four other siblings. Best Anonymous. So this is a question we have answered on the show before, but I like bringing it up periodically because I do think it's it's a really tough one. You're dealing with honoring a deceased mom, and I think what's really tough about that is you're you're wanting so much to do it in a fashion that's not quite appropriate. And I'm going to say that because issuing an invitation from someone who is deceased is not appropriate. It can often be upsetting to the people that receive it. It can also just be very confusing. There is one way to go about getting her name on the actual invitation, but in this particular case, I would not recommend it. There are lots of different phrases that you can use to craft a wedding invitation. And the phrase that works when you want to include a deceased parent on the invitation itself is a phrase where you're saying, the honor of your presence is requested at the marriage of... Elizabeth Fabian, daughter of John and Karen Fabian, to Parker Nix, son of Jeremy Nix and the late Jordana Nix. That is the way to word it. It is, Now, obviously, the honor of your presence, that's a little different. It, it changes and the to and the and changes depending on the religion that we're in. However, when you list it this way, this is the way that you're able to say the late Jordana Nix in this example. And that, unfortunately means that we wouldn't be saying Jeremy Nix, who would be the father, and then step new stepmom of a year, because technically this son isn't really a son of that particular woman. And, and this is the case, is that it's a new wife of a year. And no matter how much we love her and everything, it will be confusing if someone sees son of and then a stepmother who is brand new and and it's you could do it if it was if they were very close and everyone felt good about it you could say son of and list his name uh, the father's name and the stepmother's name and then and the late Jordana Nix but it usually strikes as not appropriate Thank you for explaining that because okay. that makes a lot of sense okay. when you talk about the I'm reason glad. why because the, the wording can sound very sort of arbitrarily specific but yes. there is a purpose to why you would build it that way and the, the the impression that it creates is one that's being created with a real economy of language. Right. And so it's a tricky situation. My recommendation to you all would be, first off, also depending on who is actually hosting this 
wedding, you actually don't have to include the groom's parents on at all. It's often an it's a consideration that the bride's parents, if they are paying for everything, which, again, that's a tradition. It doesn't always happen nowadays. Um, but if the bride's parents are paying for everything or are look, viewed at as the only hosts of the party, you don't need to use the groom's parents' names at all and you avoid this completely. However, if they are hosting or if they want to be celebrated as hosts, then you would be including them and you do have this dilemma. My suggestion to you all is to not put the mother's name on the invitation at all. And the reason being is that you really, it's it's complicated for the situation that you have and I don't think you want the stepmom who is trying to be a part of this family to also feel incredibly left out or I don't even want to say overshadowed because I don't think that's appropriate in any way. But I think this is a time to be inclusive, not exclusive. And since one of the only wording options that truly makes sense would exclude her, I don't find it appropriate. I would also say that I recommend to folks who are looking for ways to honor deceased parents at weddings to not do it on the invitation, to instead have a moment of silence during the ceremony, to have a candle lit that represents the people who couldn't be here. Um, Maybe you have a reading that was one of their favorite readings that gets read. But honor them in another way that's really very specific to them because the invitation is about the guest and it's about announcing to the guest that this is what's happening. This amazing, wonderful event is happening. Everybody who's close to this family probably knows that the mother has passed and they're not expecting to see that name on the invitation, but they would probably really love that moment of silence or that flame being lit or that that something that commemorates the deceased parent. Um, but they're not expecting it. The, the invitation is about inviting the guests to this event. It is not about memorializing the parent. And I think it's it's so hard to give that advice to someone who wants to honor their parent in this way. But I do really strongly suggest that you choose a different way to honor the parent. So I hope that that's helpful and that if, if you do choose to go the route of using the late, that you under, understand why we're suggesting that you would do the father and the mother's names and not the stepmother's name. Again, you could change that and instead say... You know, we are going to include the stepmom on this line, too, and have everybody there. You can always break the rules. Just know that you might be confusing other people if you do, or it might be awkward um, for other people who receive it if you do. And that's just the consideration you take and then make your best decision moving forward. Regardless, we hope that this is a wonderful and joyous event for all and that the wedding goes off exactly as you all have planned. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled, Two Thank Yous from Twitter. I really wanted to get the alliteration on that to be better, but I just couldn't. It was like, no, two thank two Twitter, two Twitter thanks, two twi- thanks Twitter twice. It's a lot of T's, no, but it doesn't, doesn't roll. Work. Yeah. But it's from Marie Ricci. And she asked, is it acceptable for two TY thank you cards for two diff different reasons, but to one person in a single envelope? TY, thank you. Hashtag awesome etiquette. Um, I... (laughs) 
I had actually replied to this one right away and I had a couple different cheeky things in my head to say, but what, what go for it. You could read what I reply. Well, I, I, I also <laughs> noticed this question come through on Twitter and yeah. I was I was glad to hear you had replied. And I thought instantly this is a great one for the show. Yeah. It's a point of etiquette, but it's sort of a funny point of etiquette. It is a funny point of etiquette. There's nothing wrong with putting two cards in the same envelope, except that it's a little weird. It's a little odd. It's a little, little different, a little unexpected. And, and technically it's not necessary. You could very easily write, um, just so we know, our response to Marie had been, I think the fact that you're writing a note at all leaves you in excellent, acceptable territory. I really, And I really do believe that. If she puts yes. two notes into one envelope, it's a little odd, but it's not wrong. I mean, it's not like Save offensive. It's not like it discounts the thank you notes at all. Um, so I wanted to encourage her to just do anything to express that thanks. Typically, what we would suggest in a situation, though, where you have two thank yous to issue for someone, maybe they did a favor for you and sent a gift and now you want to to send them both a thank you for the favor and the gift maybe they sent you two gifts maybe I have no idea but you are a very lucky person to be needing to issue two thank yous and I think the simplest thing to do is write one note with both acknowledging both separate thank yous in it and it doesn't have to be two dear so and so and then a next dear so and so it could just be dear so and so thank you for this and also I wanted to thank you for that agreed and if there were two thanks that were so important that they really um, deserved two cards, I think they would also deserve two envelopes. So I'm imagining someone who's been to a, a wedding shower and then uh, and then a wedding followed. And they've got and an it issue. And like really close together and you want to do separate cards for the event. So there are two okay. separate thank yous for different reasons. Yeah. I don't think I would tuck those two in the same envelope and send them. Not not like two cards, but would you write both thank yous on the same note? Would you? No, if if both thank yous deserved their own card, I would but give them each their own envelope. Do? Well, I'm thinking but of thanks I mean, that was significant enough that you really wanted to stand alone. Thank you so much for this wedding present. Thank you so much for being a host at my wedding shower. Those are two different reasons, two same different person, reasons, yeah. and the thanks is a big enough thanks that I'd want to give it its own platform. So I'd put it on its own piece of paper in its own envelope. And send it at separate times. That's the yeah. biggest example I can think of. Those are That's the, the, the example where the expectation of the thanks for the thing so is so big. I wouldn't want anyone to feel shorted. Let's keep it. This teeny little question, let's keep exploring. Does it in any way detract? From, does it make you look like a thank you note factory if you do that? If you do two totally separate cards with two totally separate thank yous to the same person, separate stamps, everything. They're probably going to arrive the same day, okay, although it'd so, be really no, funny if they don't. That Does was it detract at all? Does it start to look like, oh, she's just going through all her notes today? I mean, I don't know. Yes. Okay. If, I think if you sent them the same day, and this is where I would say, I would just put one in the mail one day and one a couple days later. <laughs> I t- Okay, so you could go Dan's route, I think. I, I would venture to say that my route would also be just as acceptable. Because <laughs> um, I don't think you detract from the thank you if if the events are close enough together i think that if you messed up and you didn't send the shower okay so some this is the scenario we've got right someone's hosted you a shower and then you had your wedding let's say there's like two months in between the two and you've now gotten a wedding gift from the host of the shower and you're finally able because you're not distracted with all the wedding to sit down and write some thank you notes would you i think it would be okay to write a thank you for both of them in the same note 
and Dan doesn't. So we'll leave that up to you. But I think the point is that you're thanking someone and you may have to do the apology thank you in the second one. I also wanted to apologize for taking so long, but I wanted to thank you for the beautiful shower that you threw me during such a chaotic time. It was so lovely to have an afternoon with you and the ladies. I just don't think someone would be offended if they received a note that thanked them for two things. I don't think they'd be offended. I think you're yeah. we're in that safe territory you described yeah. where you're sending thank you notes. You're 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 hitting your marks. This is this is us parsing that subtle territory. And I think for the vast majority of situations, what you just described makes perfect sense to me. But for the wedding gift and the shower gift, I might want to again no, but just give them their own I get time where, and space I understand and place. I under I totally understand that. But think about time is a part of that. So you're suggesting that, okay, maybe I'll send one one day and one the next day. So obviously you would want to write the note for the shower and send it first because that's the oldest. It's, It's like the timeline of thank yous would make more sense to send that first. So now the person has sent a wedding gift. They're receiving a note that only thanks them for the shower. And you're going to leave them a couple days wondering, well, did they get the wedding gift? I follow the potential confusion that might (laughs) ensue or just the potential like well okay but if the wedding thank you then arrives in a timely manner within a couple days after that i think you're in pretty good shape so you're okay leaving them waiting a couple days i'm not okay leaving them waiting a couple days maybe i would put them both in the mail at the same time maybe you would i think that maybe the etiquette leave it up up to the post office to get them there together no yeah exactly the etiquette factory feeling i think you're right is is uh, for me a more minor consideration than the wait i gotta thank you for this but but not that not that okay so you would put that in order of like least offensive yeah okay 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 so there you have it Marie, you could do lots of different things. I Great think question. the one thing that Dan and I are mostly concerned with is the fact that it's wonderful that you're actually writing thank you notes and sending them to people appropriately. Like, that is the most acceptable part of it is that you're actually doing it and you're getting that thanks across in this really valued form that we still hold. Value, too. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that I am, not, I am not, uh, I'm not caffeinated anymore. I've gone off the caffeine. I think it's showing this morning in my speech. I apologize. Is there some kind of an ending there, Chris? Oh, my gosh. No, I think I'll find an ending. Okay. It's, it's in the Hall of Fame for me, this question and your answer. It's like, uh, that was just awesome. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's a fun one when we get to debate it out. Oh, like, no, yeah. no, but where would it cause the offense? And, you know, with, you Dan, with Dan's answer, if it, if it was somebody else sending two different cards, depending on their personality, I would think, man, what a factory. They are just churning that mm-hmm. out. But with somebody like Dan, you would think... Oh, wow. He separated them both because they were both special in unique ways. That was, that <laughs> you, was could, great. you could to- And it's so hard because you don't know what the impression of the other person is going to be. And every answer that you had, Lizzie, I agreed with. So it's like, it's like I was <laughs> But torn. that's because on both sides, they're both reasonable things to be doing. It they're was both great. things that would make sense to do. Yeah. Our next question is about first impressions. Hi, Daniel and Lizzie. Thank you both for the weekly podcasts. I'm in my car, often traveling for work, and being a new listener, I've been able to catch up on many of the podcasts, which have allowed me to be more considerate, respectful, and honest in both my professional and personal lives. I'm hoping y'all can help me with a conundrum. By the time Christmas rolls around, my boyfriend and I will have been dating for just short of a year. He has met and been around my entire family, immediate and extended, several times due to living very close. I, however, have only met his father when he was in town for a business trip. I will be meeting his mother, siblings, grandparents, etc. at Christmas this year for the first time as they live halfway across the country. 
Typically, I would take a bottle of wine or champagne and my family's special recipe for our Christmas candy as a thank you for hosting me, following up with a thank you note after arriving back home. Because of this being a plane ride with only a carry-on trip, I will not be able to arrive with wine and candy in hand. What is something I can bring that is a special thank you for having me without buying it in the airport? Also, will I need to get his parents a Christmas gift with this being the first meeting? Thank you for all your help. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Best, wanting to make a good first impression. Oh, I love that you're wanting to make a good first impression and you're thinking way ahead of time of how that might not be possible in your usual format. Um, I think it's re- I actually, while Dan was typing, I'm emailing a woman who happened to have a carry-on bag that I thought was just a really well-constructed bag that could help with a problem like this. It had you, I wanted to tell you about it because it had this flap on it for shirts and suits that wraps around it then and Velcros her zipper in. You've I seen know the this bag you're talking about. It's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, this version was a, it, she said her, her husband got it on Kickstarter, that it was a Kickstarter bag. And he, so he bought one to support it. And now it's, you know, getting, so I don't know if you can look for that type of thing, but the type of bag I was just thinking that might allow for some extra room in that suitcase might be the kind that has that extra garment wraparound bag that's attached to it. So you're making kind of double use of the space. So Just a thought. What I'm hearing already is you're saying, let's get creative about this. There's it's, a way to solve this problem. When do I ever not get creative with a problem? No, a lot of times I don't. Um, I think that that I would start getting creative with this. Um, so strategically pack. Can you practice packing a bag? Do you, Are you really going to use your running shoes on this trip? I mean, like, really, I'm the type of person who I put everything I want to pack into a laundry basket. And then I start packing and asking myself, OK, legitimately, what am I going to do? And this is how I made it through that entire California trip with just a carry on. But I will say that that was with two pairs of boots, by the way. <laughs> Very impressive with myself. Pat, 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 pat. But I do think, um, for, uh, I also want to give a shout out. I'm a big advocate of making sure this candy makes it into the bag somehow because I make a Christmas candy mm-hmm. the holiday. And I love doing it's it. Yummy. It's a great gift. So I would say if you can, practice strategically packing. Think about are there different containers you could put the candy in so that it will fit? I mean, could you get a really long flat box for it? I don't know what it actually is, so maybe that's not possible. But try and think of things like that. Remember, too, that most airlines, though not all right now, so definitely check which airline you're on and what their regulations are. But most airlines allow you to have a carry-on that fits in the overhead bin and then a personal item that fits under. That's usually a backpack or a large purse, maybe a tote bag, something like that. My guess is that between the two, depending on how long your visit is, you could easily bring that candy in the the carry-on item that's the personal item. But other ideas. If these aren't possible, if you need the running shoes, you need the suit, you need all the stuff that's going into the bag, and maybe you're not allowed to have the personal item. And that wine will not be allowed. Yeah, the wine we already know. That's a a no-go. And it sounds like he knows this from the get-go. But I would also say that think of other things you could do. Can you send the candy ahead of time? I like that idea. Yep. Can you send the candy ahead of time? Can you build in time when you arrive? You're not going to walk in the front door and say, here's this wonderful gift that I gave you. There's going to be chit chat. There's going to be downtime. You might present the gift after dinner. You might present it just before dinner. It's not usually that right upon arriving, you have to present this gift. So can you take the time with your boyfriend to go run some errands together, maybe pick up a gift so that you're not grabbing the airport gift, which by the way, is not a bad gift. 
but I understand you're not comfortable with it. So can you build in time to go pick something up? My other question is, is there someone nearby? Does a brother or sister that you're going to be meeting, are they someone that you could ship the gift to if you don't want the parents to get the gift early and open it and be like, what is this? Find an ally. Find an ally. Um, Another thing was, what about a different type of gift? Um, I know a a picture frame with a a great picture of, of their son, you know, in a candid moment or something like that could be a good one flat, simple, travels easily. I mean, that was... Having not seen yeah. your recommended advice, that was an idea I had independently as well. I oh, thought to myself... you didn't read the script today? No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> times, parents love a picture of their children. And yeah. you'd be surprised that particularly when someone lives far away, a relatively recent picture can be such a nice gift for a parent. Absolutely. Also, remember that there are uh, other things you could do. You could take everybody out to dinner for a night. I would schedule that ahead of time. Ask if there's time to build that in. Ask your boyfriend, hey, I'd really love to take your folks out to dinner. If that's in your budget, even it might not be. But if it's an option, I would I would try to see if that would be a good gift to do. If it's not for this trip, I would stick with some of these other consumables or small items that you can bring. I like that idea as a sub-in for the Christmas gift yeah. also, which uh, question, which is a real trick, which is... Am I going to be expected to participate in a gift exchange? Dan, you've reminded me that there's a second part of this question that's, do I then join in in the gift exchange? And I would come prepared for that by having a consumable gift for the whole family. Now, that kind of was, it was kind of your your plan from the get-go was the right plan. It was the bottle of wine or the bottle of champagne or the something like that that everyone could share and the gift for the family that everyone could share. The picture frame gift, the, the the photo of the sun gift, is a great one for the whole family as a Christmas gift. I think that that could easily work as either a hostess gift or a Christmas gift. I think a consumable for the whole family works really well as a Christmas gift. It also happens to work great as a hostess gift. So I think if you're able to, I would try to find a way to do both of these things. I would definitely come prepared to bring a gift as your Christmas gift for the family as well as a hosting gift. I would not try to have them be one thing. I would not just assume that you're not a part of the gift giving. If the nice thing about having a gift that goes to his whole family is that if by chance you weren't included in the gift giving, they might have just simply forgot. Believe it or not, that does happen when it's such a hectic time of year, and I hate suggesting it, but it does happen. Or if they thought maybe you would feel uncomfortable or awkward about it. The consumable is such a low-hanging fruit type gift. It's such an easy gift. It's such a shared, open-for-everyone gift that it doesn't put you in territory of offending them and making them look bad for not having a gift for you. Sometimes the significant other coming in feels awkward trying to get a gift for each individual member of the family when they haven't met before. This is the first meeting. It's why a group gift is a better way to go in terms of the Christmas gift for that family. What if there yeah. was a gift that you liked giving everyone? I'm thinking about here in Vermont, we got the darn tough socks that are <laughs> a lifetime guarantee sock. And it's, I mean, I know that, boy, everyone doesn't want to get socks for Christmas, but darn tough are good socks. And they're they're from Vermont. They're from the place. And what would your thoughts be on sort of a small a gift, gift like that. that you could do for everybody that's essentially a consumable, but you've divvied it up 
kind of for well, everyone. <laughs> the socks aren't a consumable, but they're yeah. the type of gift that I think you're right. It's not overly personal. It's something from where you're from. And that's why Darn Tough is so much fun for us. By the way, this is not an advertisement for Darn Tough. It just happens to be a great Vermont company that it is kind of that odd. Oh, you got a socks. And you say, I know this will seem weird, but um, it might be maybe micro booze or the thing in your area. And you get everybody like a, a cool bottle opener if maybe they're really into beer. Maybe you find something that they like that your local area provides something of and you get a little bit for everyone. Here, another uh, example, although it's a bad example for airline travel, would be maple syrup. But that's something we all bring and give, and it's actually incredibly expensive to ship, so I don't recommend it. But it's that type of stuff. Are there things that are local goods that are made in your area that you could get kind of one of for each of the family members? And then it's not a consumable, but it is kind of... It's just, it's not a precious gift. It's broad enough. It's broad. That's the word I've been looking for all morning. Broad. Thank you. Great idea. Great idea, Dan. I'm glad you mentioned the maple syrup also because it's where my head immediately went on this question because it's the thing I always used to bring, would love to bring, can't Can't any longer. And the modification of that maple gift around here is now you bring the maple candy. Right. Which is not a liquid, so you can pack it up and carry it on and it still has that. Vermont flavor and it's nice, but it's it's it, it, it. We've done this as a state essentially here in Vermont, where we figured out what the modification is on that that liquid that you can't carry with you when you're wanting to have something in your hands when you show up at the door. Exactly. So I think uh, you have definitely some options. You know, you're smart to be thinking about both a hosting gift and a gift for the actual holiday you all are celebrating together. And I think that with a little bit of possibly a little bit of creative packing, possibly a little creative thought or just some different territory, some other options to go in that you're going to be able to get everything into the suitcase and the personal item. And you will be very happy when you arrive with gifts in hand or an option that, you know, you can go towards like building in some time to go get gifts. Thank you for your questions. You can send your next question or update or comment or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860 or reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. Your manners are showing... And it's good manners that make a good impression. We really appreciate and take very seriously your feedback to the etiquette that we discuss on the show. And so it is time for our favorite part of the show. Every part's our favorite part, but we always like to emphasize that this is a special favorite part. Um, And that's why we also have producer Chris Roberts ready to join us every week to share some of it with us. Hello, Chris. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. And um, Dan, by the way, if you have your list in front of you, I would like charcoal gray darn tough socks this year, please. Noted. (laughs) We have been getting feedback on a question you both tackled in episode 114 about an overly thankful academic who insisted on treating our listener to a week of lunches to express appreciation for her help in the college laboratory they work in. Emily wrote in and says, 
I've encountered a similar situation before with new or younger employees, interns, etc., who I mentor at work. Accepting gifts from them could put you on the wrong side of the office ethics policy. And furthermore, it just feels inappropriate, since often they are subordinates who are earning less than you. My approach is to say something like this. I remember being in your shoes and having said colleague patiently teach me these skills when I was brand new. I really appreciate that you're so grateful for everything you're learning. However, rather than giving me a gift, I would ask that you pay it forward to the next generation and look for opportunities to mentor others who are coming up in our field, both now and in the future. And continuing with this theme of paying it forward in, in this case, a college research setting, Kathleen also had this to say. As a postdoc, Kathleen writes, the listener who was training the new student was once a student herself and was trained by other more experienced people. As a long-term grad student, postdoc myself, I fondly remember the time some very busy people spent making sure I knew what I was doing. Paying it forward like this is a long tradition in academia. Kathleen. And I remember you both talking about this. You mentioned paying it forward as well. And it seems like it might be the be-all, end-all solution here. Does it trump other sample scripts, for example? What do you think? I love that concept of telling someone, you know, someone did this for me, and I really hope that you will approach doing this for someone else with the same spirit of generosity. I, I And I love that we heard it from two different people because it's it really shows that that's an idea that's out there, that's, that's a shared concept in this field. I think what I love about it, of course, I'm going to love the sneakier side of it, but, but it's genuine. I love the fact that it takes uh, something that could feel really like an imposition and uncomfortable. When something's being imposed on me like that, I feel really, really uncomfortable. And I love the fact that rather than telling someone how their generosity is really upsetting to me, that instead I get to tell them, no, there's this beautiful thing that's happening here. And we're going to let that be the way that this continues on. It's really special. It is. It relieves the pressure from you. It makes it makes the rejection of the, the lunches not offensive. And I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. So I appreciate both Kathleen and Emily for suggesting this. We heard from a listener, Lindsay, who wrote in on Awesome Etiquette Facebook. She loved the episode 98, and her favorite part of it was the postscript discussion you had about sharing pictures on social media. Do you remember that? I do. Where was is this? The, was this the vacation photos? Precisely. And Lindsay writes, she actually had a disagreement with her now husband about posting photos when they first started dating. And she writes, he, her husband, doesn't like to post as much or at all. And I am much more inclined to post highlights of events, vacations, etc. as they happen. We eventually figured out what the underlying issue was. He expressed that he was disappointed when he'd go to relay something like a vacation experience with a friend in person, only to find out that they had already heard about it from my post on Facebook. Whereas I have friends across the country, many of whom I don't get to see for months or years at a time, and I want to share pieces of my life with them. Our compromise? I don't post as much in real time as I used to, 
but I may post an album of highlights after he gets the chance to regale his friends in person. It works out pretty well, and it's allowed me to use some constructive criticism to enhance my own social media experience. Thanks for the fantastic podcast, Lindsay. And you can file that in the all's well, the ends well department. <laughs> yeah, compromise. that's definitely one where compromise is awesome. <laughs> you sure can. And, and Lindsay, this is so, so common. The biggest social media mistake that many people make is scooping someone else's news. Yes. And avoiding that scoop really is uh, the, the heart of a lot of good social media etiquette. Well done. That's so true. You love being the messenger <laughs> on social media. And when it's deprived, it's kind of tough to take. We got this note from a listener who adopted the moniker Snubbed but Silent Secret Santa. And that's making up perhaps, oh Lizzie, for your alliteration <laughs> shortcoming earlier thank in you, the episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Snubbed but Silent Secret Santa writes, I have not a question but a request. Just smile and say thank you. I love the tradition of gift-giving, but I have been caught off guard a couple of times in the past few years with people making ungracious comments about the gift they received as part of a gift exchange, in both cases at the holiday party where the exchange took place. It should be common sense, but please remind listeners that a smile and a thank you is all it takes to make sure everyone goes home feeling the holiday spirit. I'm sure some people will receive something they don't really love, but save the snide remarks about a gift that didn't live up to your expectations for the privacy of your own home. Or better yet, just let it go. Thank you, snubbed but silent secret Santa. Ah, yes. Just say thank you. I was going to say, just say thank you. It's such a good reminder, and this is something that you might have to practice. I am not good at this. I am the person that has to practice this. I had to learn as a kid how to not show any disappointment or just any kind of like, oh, okay. And it's it's not something I'm the best at. And so this is something that if you aren't terribly great at this, or if you do find that your reaction gets expressed outwardly as your most, you know, honest thoughts, you, you're going to really want to practice saying, oh, thank you so much. This is wonderful. Leave it at that. Don't say anything else. Just thank you so much. This is wonderful. Just get that that nice, bright tone in. Practice saying it. I might even ask my cousin Daniel to just, like, give me a snap and a finger point, and off I go. Thank you. That's so wonderful. Just to practice getting it on the in the moment, you know, like a random moment, being able to just pull it out of anywhere. I love that. We talk about good etiquette as having sort of two parts often. There's the practice, the ability, and then there's the habit, <laughs> that, that how consistent you are at delivering on that practice skill. And um, this is a case where, where your natural honesty might be your enemy and that we're looking for that kind benevolent truth here we're looking for that place where the art of etiquette meets that honesty and there is a certain honesty to a practiced thank you so much i appreciate the thought the effort the consideration and it doesn't need to be any harder than that and i gotta add here because i have such trouble saying thank you as well and it's for a different reason that's even more screwed up really at least to me no it, it really is it's because I feel so uncomfortable that somebody went to the trouble to get me Mm -hmm. something that I get caught up in that. And what I've learned from the show that I'm so grateful for is that you have to let that go, too. And just say thank you. Oh, my gosh. That's so important (laughs) to me. 
and I've, fa- I've failed so many times on that. You're the front. sweet side of it, Chris. I'm the, I'm the not so sweet side of it. <laughs> Note to self: I've got you in the Christmas draw this year. <laughs> nice. Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself, too, and they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. We've reached that part in the show where we get to dive a little deeper into a particular topic of etiquette, and for today's Postscript segment, we're going to look at a list of 15 international food etiquette points that CNN decided to share. And we're going to put that link up on social media so that anyone out there who is curious about what it is that we're referring to, you can look it up yourself or you can try following along. The first tip that we have is that in Thailand, you don't put food in your mouth with a fork. Instead, when you're eating a dish with cooked rice, you use your fork only to push food onto your spoon. And there are a couple of of different exceptions for northern and northeastern Thai dishes that are typically eaten with the hands instead. Tip two, in Japan, never stick your chopsticks upright in your rice. Between bites, your chopsticks should be placed together right in front of you, parallel to the edge of the table, and nowhere else. Ooh. In the Middle East, India, and parts of Africa, you do not eat with your left hand. In South India, you shouldn't even touch the plate with your left hand while eating, and it's largely because the left hand is associated with, well, let's just say cleansing bodily functions So it's considered a little bit dirty. Yes. Good to know. Tip four. At a traditional feast in Georgia, it's rude to sip your wine. At what Georgians call a supra or a traditional feast, wine is drunk only at toasts. So, so there you, would, you go. So you wait for the toast and then you can take a nice a nice sip or drink. Oh, exactly. wow. Exactly. In Italy, you only drink a cappuccino before noon. Some Italians say that a late-day cappuccino upsets your stomach, and others say that it's a replacement for a meal. So either way, you will not see Italians ordering a cafe at 3 p.m. As I look longingly at my coffee mug in the afternoon, (laughs) I will remember this. Dan and I often have stand-up meetings around his grinding of the coffee beans and then pouring and uh, percolating of the coffee. It's it's become a thing for us. (laughs) In Mexico, never eat tacos with a fork and knife. Worried about spilling refried beans and salsa all over your front? Tough. So I really like this one because it's a reminder to eat with your hands, that it is appropriate many times. Read the next line because I love the next line that they wrote here because it so applies to something we kind of reel against. And the line is, Mexicans think that eating tacos with a fork and knife looks silly and worse is snobby, kind of like eating a burger with silverware, which we actually do sometimes say to do if it's a business situation, it's the right case. But what I love about this is I, I compare this to your pinky out while drinking tea. It's affectatious. It's not needed. This is finger food. Come on. I love it. Get with it. Right, right. In Britain, always pass the port to the left and remember the Bishop of Norwich. I know I'm going to love this one. Okay. Well, it's unclear why passing the port on the left is so important. Some say it has to do with 
a naval tradition, the port side of the boat is on your left if you're facing the helm, so therefore you'd pass to the left. But regardless, passing the decanter to the right is a big gaffe. So is not passing it at all. If you're at a meal and the decanter stalls, then ask the person with it, do you know the Bishop of Norwich? If they say they don't know him, reply, he's a very good chap, but he always forgets to pass the port. Sounds weird, but it's true. This is such a nationwide tradition that the Telegraph actually wrote an article about it. I love it. (laughs) It assumes that you know you usually pass right. (laughs) So excellent. In France, don't eat your bread as an appetizer before the meal. Instead, eat it as an accompaniment to your food, especially to the cheese course at the end of the meal. I love it. Very sophisticated. Thank you to the French. Ah, but there's a a kind of cool etiquette note here. It says placing the bread directly on the table, not on a plate, is perfectly acceptable in France, where it is not acceptable elsewhere. Ha, I love it. I I admit, I really like the French way of eating. Geek. (laughs) In China, don't flip the fish. Although you might be used to flipping over a whole fish once you've finished one side, don't, at least while you're in China, especially southern China and Hong Kong. That's because flipping the fish is considered bad luck. In Italy, don't ask for Parmesan for your pizza or at any other time that it's not explicitly offered. Putting Parmigiano on pizza is seen as a sin, like putting jello on a fine chocolate mousse. And many pasta dishes in Italy aren't meant for Parmesan. Period. <laughs> I actually like the rest of that one, too. Huh. I like, But I like the idea of that. If they don't offer it, don't ask. Don't eat anything, even fries, with your hands at a meal in Chile. Manners here are a little more formal than many other South American countries. So while it might be the most practical to just pick up those fries with your fingers, don't do it. They say that the greater need is to identify with European culture who would eat this type of food with a knife and fork. Although I'm not necessarily sure of that. I think at this point in time, would you? I I don't know. I haven't. Been, I must admit, I haven't been to like France or Germany or I mean, I've been to Italy, but we certainly didn't have French fries there. Um, I'd be curious if nowadays, if Europeans, because this is to emulate European style of eating. And so the question would now be, have Europeans changed and the Chileans just chosen to stay with this more formal uh, method of eating French fries? The origin of the American style of dining, where we copied a European affectation that has since been abandoned and now it's been retained here in the States. So funny. In Korea, if an older person offers you a drink, lift your glass to receive it with both hands. Doing so is a sign of respect for elders and an important tenet of Korean culture. After receiving the pour with both hands, you should turn your head away and take a discreet sip. And I will add a little uh, manner that I also learned in Korea when uh, toasting or cheersing. You show respect by keeping the level of your glass a little lower than the level of the glass of someone who is senior to you at the table. Oh, fascinating. I love it. Never mix or turn down vodka in Russia. The beverage is always drunk neat. And no, not even with ice. Adding anything is seen as polluting the drink's purity. When drinking coffee with Bedouins in the Middle East, shake the cup at the end. Typically, anyone Bedouin or Bedouin-related will continue to pour you more coffee once you've finished unless you shake the cup, meaning tilting the cup two or three times when you hand it back. 
Finally, in Brazil, play your tokens wisely. At a churrascaria, or a Brazilian steakhouse, servers circle with cuts of meat and diners use tokens to place an order. If a server comes out with something you want, make sure your token, which you'll have at your table, has the green side up. If you don't want any more, flip it with the red side up. I like that. Green go, red stop. Since the meat can be never-ending, it's important to strategize. I love it. I love the the attention to manners in different situations. We often talk about etiquette being a combination of manners and principles, and those manners are not always as portable as we think they are, that they vary widely. And I love the investigation into the different expectations, the different manners in those different locations. May I please thank you. These are words that make day-to-day living go smoothly. going to be closing our show today with our wonderful etiquette salute. Uh, And, you know, we love them not just because they're heartwarming and inspiring, but they also serve as important reminders to be good family members, good friends, good neighbors, even good strangers. In that spirit, we bring you this salute from Natasha. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I absolutely love your podcast. Thank you for all your fantastic advice. I just wanted to give an etiquette salute to all of the neighbors on my cul-de-sac We have been neighbors for many years, and they've helped me in countless ways. They do everything from letting an electrician over to our house when we weren't home and seeing through that issue to setting aside homemade cornbread and buttering it to looking after our pets to looking after our house when we go on vacation to letting us use their landscaping service and waiting 10 days before they have to use it again. So our neighbors are very special to us, and we just wanted to give a shout-out to them and thank you for all you do. You are most welcome, and thank you for your etiquette salute. That is truly a sweet one. I love the spirit of just appreciating neighbors and appreciating them for being good neighbors, doing the little things that we all would hope that neighbors do for each other, but it's so easy to take for granted because, frankly, anything that we do for each other is, is something special. So thank you for reminding us of that, and thank you for sharing. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Remember, there is no show without you. And you can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out. If you love the show, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts.